the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on Always Right Radio. It's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are ready to roll on this Tuesday, the 20th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. My last uh, show in... Uh, uh, in Ohio for a couple of days because I will be live in Washington, D.C. tomorrow and Thursday uh, as we cover the extraordinary, unprecedented level of invasion of this country. Over 204,000 crossings in the last month alone. We are in new territory now. Uh, they are in new territory, literally talking about those who continue to flout our laws uh, at the willing um, encouragement of the President of the United States. They're literally in new territory. We're in new territory in terms of how we are going to deal with this. So, uh, we are going to be live in D.C. tomorrow and Thursday. So today, or what, yeah, in Thursday. So today, we are just loaded up. We have a packed, packed, 
Hacked Pack show for you. Coming up here in just a minute or two, we are going to be touching base with Jonathan Broadbent, and uh, we may need to dial him up. Uh, but Jonathan Broadbent from Protect Ohio uh, Children uh, is going to be joining us to talk about an event that happened last night, or some incidents that happened last night at the Chardon School Board meeting, as well as around the area. Um, with respect to essentially dropping all sense of decency, all standards of morality, of of appropriateness when it comes to dress codes in Northeast Ohio schools. This trans movement, this gender identity movement, this don't you dare tell me how I can express myself kind of movement is getting well, it's already off the rails. It's already out of control, but it is manifesting itself in a number of other ways now, including you can't tell me how to dress. And uh, it's an astounding development. And we're going to talk to Jonathan about that here in just a moment or two. Uh, coming up at 935, big and live, he's Tyrus. Tyrus, you may recall, as a former WWE professional wrestler, professional superstar, now a very astute political analyst and entertainer and comedian uh, as a Fox News contributor. He is going to be headlining a very special event coming up that I will let him tell you about or we will tell you about at 9.35 when he joins me live. So Tyrus at 9.35. Kersenow at 10.10, as he always is on a Tuesday. At 11.10, we're going to talk to WHK's own Nick Phillips. Uh, Nick Phillips is going to be joining us at 1110 to talk about his candidacy for the Ohio State House. Turns out he's a write-in candidate for a race that does not have a Republican in it. So he is a write-in candidate and is trying to make a little bit of noise here. So Nick uh, Phillips is going to be joining us to tell us about that at... Um 1110, and then at 1135, our friend from Blue Line Unlimited, Jim Bucks, is going to tell us about a very, very important fundraiser for uh, a, a critical, well, I won't say critically injured, but a severely injured and paralyzed Cleveland police officer. So we're going to talk to uh, him about that. So we are loaded, literally, from beginning to end. Here is the story that we're going to talk with Jonathan Broadbent about. In, actually, before I do that, let's do our pledge. Apologies. I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Patriots, please rise and face a flag if you have one. If you don't have one, that is okay, but put your hand on your heart and join us, please, for this Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, we got of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Apologies, that was garbled just a little bit there at the beginning of that Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, But I did want to make sure we do that so that I can give you a little bit of the background here. This is uh, News 5 reporting on the Chardon School Board meeting last night that we're going to talk with Jonathan Broadbent about. Newly elected Chardon School Board member Todd Albright was the topic of conversation in the school board meeting with parents, students, and even some of his fellow board members voicing their disapproval of his actions, ultimately deciding to send him to training and to censure him. And just to note, all of the video that you're going to see inside that meeting was taken off of our cell phones as our news cameras weren't allowed inside. Parents, staff members, and students packed into Chardon Middle School for Monday's board meeting, ready to discuss what happened just a few weeks back. My issue is that he was pointing out students off school property outside of school hours when they had already changed for warmer weather to walk home. When they say board member Todd Albright asked the superintendent, middle school and high school principals to join him at the corner of Alden and North 
after school hours off school property to see how students were violating the dress code. I think it's crazy that like the clothing on my body can affect anybody else in any way. It led to outrage and outcry from the parents and students. And Monday, before the public comment section of the meeting even began, board president Karen Blankenship stated that Albright's actions were a violation of board conduct. Individual board members are not authorized to act on behalf of the board unless in open public session or was specifically vested with such authority it will be considered to be unacceptable conduct. So they voted to go into an executive session to privately discuss how to move forward. And what you're hoping happens from that executive session? Honestly, like there should be some stiff penalties. Returning to the public meeting about half an hour later to vote on a resolution to censure and send Albright to state school board member training to which only Albright voted no. The board hereby formally censures Mr. Albright and respectfully requests that Mr. Albright cease and desist from any further conduct of a similar nature so that the board members, administrators, and staff may continue to work together in an environment of mutual respect. Reporting in Chardon, Jesse Schultz. News 5. Okay, so that's a News 5 report from Chardon from last night. I think you got the gist of that. Um, uh, you know, that a new the new board member, as we pushed last year for parents who are concerned about some of the indoctrination and some of the sexual exploitation and the sexualizing of children that is going on in our public schools all across this country, there's a massive push to get um Parents involved in the process by joining school boards. Todd Albright was one of them. He did it in Chardon. He became a new member, and he has been since been trying to do exactly what he was sent there to do, and that is to provide a little adulting in a situation in which the kids are running the show, and sadly, sometimes at the encouragement of some of the adults who are not adulting. Uh, the dress codes at Chardon, the dress codes at so many of the other uh, schools around the area, and, and quite frankly, this is not just a Northeast Ohio thing, um, the dress codes are, are being kicked to the curb. Kids are being allowed to dress as sexually provocative as they want. In an age of furries and you know wild gender expressions that are animalistic in some cases, different species, not to mention, of course, cross-dressing, All of these things are going to be massive, massive barriers in the educational process, in the learning process. And um, we're still trying to reach Jonathan Broadbent, who should be joining us, like, literally now. Uh, We'll try to make that happen uh, from Project... uh, uh, Good. Let's let's bring him in here, because I've been... Jonathan knows more about this than I do, and I can't fill much longer here. So, Jonathan Broadbent, are you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay, yeah, um... Okay, Jonathan, um, I've been trying to lay the groundwork here, and I played a Newsnet 5 uh, story in, uh, that covered Chardon yesterday, but I don't think anybody can cover this quite as well as you can. Can you tell us first the specifics on the Todd Albright story from last night in Chardon, but then go broader to the other schools in Northeast Ohio that are kicking their dress codes to the side, basically saying you can wear whatever you want because we are all about free expression, gender expression, animal expression, whatever expression you want to express, we're not going to limit that by telling you how to dress um, and what the consequences of that could be. Go ahead. Oh, right. Yeah, the whole furry thing. That that all factors in here. And to, so just to put a little bit of my context uh, as well, 
the the conservative school boards, for lack of a better blanket term, the conservative school boards are what I like to refer to as educational, where they've got a, a target on their back. And we were very clear, those of us on the right or conservative, pushing for more neutral stance in schools and a return to education, we sort of communicated in the lead up to the elections who we really wanted. And then we we broadcast on social all right, did we lose him? Yeah, of course we did, because how could we not? Uh, okay, it's 918. Let's take a time out here so that we can try to reestablish the connection with Jonathan and uh, uh, try to make this work. He's got a lot of very important information to share in 1420, The Answer. Okay, 922 now. Uh, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. I think we got all the little gremlins out of the system there that uh, cut Jonathan Broadbent's call off. So let's go right back to Jonathan now with uh, Protect Ohio's Children North. Uh, Jonathan is talking about Chardon last night, but we're going to talk about a bigger picture here and the lack of adulting uh, when it comes to uh, uh, establishing rules for expression and identity in the schools and what kind of a larger impact this is going to have. So, Jonathan... You started out telling us about what happened in Chardon last night. Todd Albright is the new board member. Uh, he decided to do exactly what he was elected as a new board member to do, and that is to try to bring some sanity to the situation when it comes to expression. So he started with dress code, and immediately he has been attacked for it um, and slandered, quite frankly, for it. Tell us the rest of that story. Yeah, I mean, the the, the level of slander and... and uh lash out uh, that he's experiencing is outrageous. And I, I started to mention that he's a, a Christian conservative, just a really great down-to-earth sort of guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit, so for me personally, it really got on my radar, and and the uh, school district is close to me, so I, I really had tabs on what was going on there. But to call this guy, they went across the board, they're, they're accusing him of all sorts of nasty stuff, and basically just calling the guy a pervert for commenting on dress code, which is just so outside of uh, the beyond the pale. It's, it's ridiculous. So I started to make the comment. It's, it's my firm belief that the issue that was used to attack him is irrelevant to the left. It could be anything. It could have been he opposes CRT or masks or shots. or It, it doesn't really matter, I don't believe. that. But I, to me, it's very telling that the 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 folks that attacked Todd Albright and he was censured last night. They they read this lengthy um, censure statement. I think they call it a resolution or whatever it was. Right. The whole thing, uh, the whole the whole experience was like like something from a third world country. It was this weird, um, otherworldly. It was like a third world country dictatorship, and everything was crafted and scripted in this way that you knew that everything had been prepared in advance. All the statements, all the reactions, even people saying, well, I wasn't really sure that I wanted to to, um, to sign this censure against Todd, but I'm going to read this three-page statement about how terrible Todd Albright is. Uh, you know, the whole thing really to anybody, any 
observer was was very scripted. Jonathan, so, let, 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 what, I, I need I, we need to drill down a little bit on what it was, and I, I agree with you when you say it didn't matter what the issue was; they would have found something because they didn't want this outsider coming from a parent's perspective uh, that is against the you know this this ridiculous uh, expression movement that we're in right now, in which the kids are encouraged by radical, wild-looking teachers to do radical, wild-looking things to themselves. They were going to come for him no matter what. But let's be specific here. In this case, all he did was want to talk about the dress code. We have a dress code in Charter. We have a, uh, a set of rules here. Look at all of these kids not following it. Why aren't our administrators, who, by the way, serve at the pleasure of the board, why are they not infor- enforcing the dress code? This is what they came at him for. What did he do that was so egregious by pointing out that uh, kids coming in there half-dressed, half-naked, in another otherwise provocative um and and inappropriate attire can that can severely disrupt the learning environment which is exactly why dress codes exist yeah i i think you're spot on with that and if you look at what's happening the push within schools is really it's it's um it's tacit approval or actually more than that it's actually advocating for a specific type of lewd behavior you look at all the pornography you look at all the the hypersexualization and all that stuff you add to it the exposure to things like tiktok where the the kids are sort of incentivized to act in a, in a sort of a a lewd way and then you you relax all of the rules on dress code and codes of conduct and those sorts of things it's a recipe mm-hmm. for disaster and so well, and by way of example for, if i may also there there was a teacher I, I again i played the clip there from news five which i just picked out of a hat of any of the local news media that covered this thing but they did a part of that one of the uh, commenters there was a teacher i'm assuming a teacher because she spoke from a position of authority or they're saying what could and couldn't be done who was wearing a black tank top now it's a middle-aged woman uh and and, and uh, i i say that because you might expect it maybe from a new college graduate teacher who's 23 and fresh out of school and this is the way that generation dresses or whatever. I, I, I just say that because the context here is kind of odd. But a middle-aged woman wearing a black tank top who is covered in tattoos, her neck down to her shoulders, her arms, her chest, which is, is visible because of the tank top, and she had a bull ring in her nose, you know, one of those, one of those full rings that, that hang from her nose. Now, this is a teacher... And and this is a, one of the adults in the room that is supposed to be providing some sort of an example, I think, to the kids. And she's complaining that Mr. Albright was terribly inappropriate. If this is the attire at a school board meeting, I'm assuming it's also the attire inside the school during the school day, how can the kids possibly be expected to dress appropriately if this is the model being put by staff members, put forth by staff members in the Chardon schools? Yeah, and there's a connected point to that. Of course, in the lead-up to yesterday's meeting, a bunch of us jumped online and went to Chardon's documents, their policies, which can be found on board docs. It's an online uh, library of documents r- relating to schools and school boards. So we went to Chardon's policies. There's a policy there that, clickly, that clearly states what the student's dress code is, and it also it includes a reference in there to the need for staff and faculty to dress modestly and appropriately to set the right tone and context for the children to set a good example. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is not only upside down and backward, and it's, it's the taboo, the dress of the children is the taboo topic that 
everyone's talking about outside of school. It, so I, I want to hopefully connect a few things that to me seem very relevant and are all interconnected. So if you look at recently, I think it was Rocky River or Bay Village, one of the west side of Cleveland school districts, recently fired a few teachers and administrators because they were passing around pictures of some of the, uh, I think they were female students. I think all of them were female students. And they were wildly inappropriate. And I agree, it was inappropriate for those teachers and that faculty to be passing pictures of the kids. But what it tells us is two things. The fact that it's a known issue. People are talking about it. The kids come home and talk about how, you know, these kids, uh, their, their classmates, are wearing wildly inappropriate stuff into schools. So then the parents learn about it, and then the parents call in and talk to other parents, and they're on chat groups, and the kids all know it. And the teachers, of course, they're human beings. But now I've got feedback from all sorts of teachers who say, in particular, if they're male, if they're a male teacher, they will, they cannot, they cannot say a thing. They're fearful that they will lose their job. The, the backlash from the left from school administrators for any male teacher trying to comment on dress code, especially if it's a female student, is awful. It's off the charts awful. So the kids effectively are running the roost. Running the they are making their own rules, and they are asserting themselves and just steamrolling right over the teachers, administrators, and faculty because they're all afraid of the kids, except... Todd Albright. So Todd Albright steps into this horrible situation, and he's aware of it, and it's sort of this open secret, and he decides to address it, which is what he was elected for. And so he goes out, and he's like, look, there are bad things going on here. I better bring over some of the other school administrators and staff and figure out how we fix this issue. And so he brings in the superintendent and two principals, and he starts pointing out, look, it's not really appropriate for that kid to be dressed in that way. You can't have the conversation without making specific reference. That's and right. somehow the left t- twisted that into immorality on his part and projected this whole nonsense of um, him being perverted in some way. For bringing yeah. up- well, and, you know, just, just and I've got to cut you off here, Jonathan, because the, the bottom of the hour creeps up on us very, very fast. And we're already there. So we, we don't have any more time. But oh, sure. but one of the signs that the student, a student, a female student was carrying last night at that board meeting from the TV clip that I thought said, there is nothing inappropriate about girls' bodies. Tell the boys not to look. You are literally dressing. These girls often are dressing specifically to make people look. You cannot not look because it is so out of place and so inappropriate uh, for the for the setting. And then to tell them it's your fault, quit looking, is just so much garbage. They are looking to try to tear down all semblance of standards and norms uh, by which uh, civilization and, and, quite frankly, Western society uh, has you know has developed and grown throughout uh, throughout. You know the history, quite frankly, of this society. They're casting aside all of those norms, all morality, all decency, all in an attempt to say every expression is normal, no matter what kind it is. Nudity, furry, doesn't matter. It's all normal. Let's stop. Uh, let's stop judging everybody. It's a. Uh, it's an astounding thing, Jonathan. I know you're all over it. When we have more time, we'll have you back on again to talk more about this because it isn't going away. But thank you for standing up for Mr. Albright, and thank you for the time this morning. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. That's Jonathan Broadbent. We're a little behind. Let's get to news. Tyrus coming up after AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and The Answer. Okay, 937, running just a little bit behind the clock here, uh, thanks to Jonathan Broadbent. That conversation with Jonathan, by the way, was just uh, dreamed up this morning because I watched very closely what happened last night. Actually checked into it more this morning at the Chardon School Board meeting. There is so much more meat on that bone. We have not, uh, just don't have the time to get to. But we'll have Jonathan Broadbent back on coming up very soon so that we can get into that in much more depth. We did need to get to this guest, though, because this was scheduled, and this is a guy you do not want to keep waiting if indeed his um, prowess in the ring is any indicator. Uh, I was a huge WWF slash WWE fan for many, many years, and I'm very, very familiar with this guy. He has gone from WWE superstar to one of the most astute political commentators and analysts that are working in TV today as a Fox News contributor. He's also a comedian and an entertainer, and he is Tyrus. He joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Tyrus, good to have you on the program. How are you, big man? Always a pleasure, sir. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I have no problem waiting uh, when you're putting up a good fight like that. That was a great conversation. <laughs> and well, we need th- to have more of that. That you're right. We do. We do. It's 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 a rough thing. You know. Let me let me just ask you. You know, I you're you're covered in tattoos. You're you're a big guy. You're a former pro wrestler. It kind of fits the the mold. You're not a teacher. You're not a middle aged woman. You're not wearing a, a nose ring to educate a bunch of little kids and a bunch of young people who are looking to you for uh you know guidance or even if they don't even know it subliminally and subconsciously kids look to their teachers, their administrators, their parents for how to act, how to care of themselves, how to behave, and yes, how to dress. Um, so the story we were just talking about is a local one, but as you know, it's a national one too. Virginia, uh, we saw what happened there. That's why Glenn Youngkin is now the governor. So nationally, what do you make of this This gender expression and gender identity rules all, and however one wants to express himself, he or she shall not, or they or Z or Z shall not be judged by that. They can look and do whatever they want. All right, well, a couple of corrections, uh, and I guess we're going to make it awkward here. Number one, uh, I was a teacher, and number two, uh, I still currently wrestle. But uh, how your teacher looks and dresses... Right, now you're killing me. Teacher. Now you're killing me. Hold on. I didn't yeah. know you were still wrestling. You're, I, yeah, I, it's all I, good. Okay, okay. Well, but, uh, i, I got to know where to see that, but okay, I'm sorry. Same, Go ahead. I had the same task when I was a teacher. So uh, as a teacher, it's not how you look. It's the message that you purvey. I mean... Uh, I can tell you that the most impactful teacher in my entire life had a bowl cut and dressed like she was a Quaker. But uh, that didn't change my style, and I never did get a bowl cut. But Mrs. Mole uh, forever uh, changed my mind in terms of uh, drama and English. So it doesn't really matter what the cover of the book looks like. It's the message. But if only thing about you is what is on the cover of the book, that's the problem. Uh, when teachers come in and they say the way I look is normal and the way the fact that I can't even remember a teacher ever discussing dress, haircut, etc., unless uh, they you were doing something that was in violation of the school rules. Uh, so that's the problem today is that teachers think it's the me show. We have too many TikTok teachers and not enough uh, meat and potato teachers. So I don't care how you dress. It's the message that you 
put forward because the kids are going to make their own decisions and they know what's cool and not cool. And I would argue that a, t- a cool teacher is kind of missing the message because uh, once it becomes uh, the me show, you lose the kids anyway. And uh, the That's... kids who attack you are, are seeking attention, not necessarily knowledge. And that is never a good thing because there's a thin line between being an educator and crossing into a personal boundary. Okay, that's, I'm, I'm glad to get a lot of that out there. First of all, you and I share that, by the way. I am also a former teacher, uh, so I, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. And and it is a me show, and that's the problem here. It's not necessarily what you dress, but it is about the appropriateness of the dress. That's why dress codes yeah. exist. And dress codes exist in the workplace because they don't want um, disruption from the productivity of employees to, you know, to be a part of the equation. And certainly the appropriateness of, you know, nudity or, or half dressed uh, uh, students and so on and so forth is disruptive to the educational environment. That's why dress codes exist. And teachers, generally speaking, kind of have to model that. Um, while your point about the messaging being more important than the package is obviously true, there is an appropriateness level. And as you point out on the TikToks, wearing the giant gauges and having blue, pink, purple, and yellow hair and, and wearing, you know, again, inappropriate clothes in terms of what is revealing and what, and what is not, all in an attempt to get the kids to be like the teacher, which is what this, uh, you know, this grooming aspect, um, in this recruiting into the alternative lifestyle thing, that's what I think has so many millions of parents all across this country country rebelling over and it's why they're going to they're going to push the republicans back into power in november i believe what do you think yeah well it starts with our school board uh you know conservatives have to get back on school board uh, and we're starting to see that trend i think the the bitter pill uh, that was swallowed that was exposed during the pandemic is about the teachers union and how they view parents and unfortunately teachers tend to be stuck in the middle and uh the union uses them as a shield but, you know, we just we have to get back to core values uh, and it's not it's not negotiable. You know, um, I, when I think it was high school, maybe senior and junior years when people were and I, and I was in school in the 90s and um, the, the early 80s. And like everybody wanted to be, you know, a lot of kids want to be flock of seagulls and uh, Billy Idol. And, you know, and everybody <laughs> wants to wear parachute pants and be run DMC. So it's not like this is new. You know, it's not like, you know, in the, in the, you know, when Elvis was popular, people didn't want to do their hair or dress like that. So they, they keep acting like they're the first responders to something new, like, oh, hair color. It's been around for a long time. Uh, if you want to color your hair, do it on the weekends. You know, if you want to wear clothes that shows 90% of your upper body, you do it on your own time. You don't do it at school. Uh, I wouldn't wear, you know, tank tops and stuff at, at school, you know, because I also feel that's a, it's a, a level of, Unprofessionalism, you know, like uh, you know, right. I don't wear a suit and tie on TV, but I, I earn the right to do that because ratings mean more than a tie, and I'm a regular guy, and that's kind of my message. But in the in the classroom, if if I was going to teach history and English, I would be in the, a suit and tie, and maybe I don't like it. You know, I got a 22 inch neck, so they won't see a lot of the tie. But the point is, though, that's the requirement because I'm there to educate, and the best way to educate is not to be. There's a chalkboard or dry erase of information. I can't take away from that by getting my message out or getting my attention seeking out. That's what therapists are for. That's what relationships are for uh, on your own time to get everyone to notice me. The classroom is not a place for you to put your pulpit, to push your politics. Like I wouldn't go in there and be like, all right, where are my young Republicans at? Would not do that. That's inappropriate. Uh, you know, unless my class was politics, I would be having to teach the political lesson, not my political agenda. So, you know, and that's the problem. 
uh, these teachers are making. Again, it goes back to the me show. And unfortunately, and that's not most teachers, you know, let's, let's be fair. It's the ones, it's just like anything else in our society. The ones who are the craziest and make the most noise, get the mic time and get the media support. So, you know, the teacher who comes to work every day, does their job, does their lesson plan, spends a good deal of their salary on their classroom and their time. Uh, they're not going to get any, they're not going to get any press, but the one, uh, who's, who's going out of their way to be in a political statement or, wants to put their sexuality or their their identity onto students really has no place in the classroom because that's not what it's about. It's conveying educational, whatever's in your curriculum, uh, that's what's supposed to be taught, not what's in your mind and your heart. And that's, you know, that's the problem. Uh, I, I have strong views. I'm a conservative. But if I was teaching uh, economics and uh, political science in the classroom, my views would not come into play. I would not be like, oh, how dare this student uh, talk about, you know, how they want to be a socialist or whatever. I would give them the information and right. hopefully explain to them how, you know, like this is this and this is that. And when you get old enough, you're going to make a decision and hopefully you'll look at your paycheck and understand what taxes are. That's the message. It's not, well, anyone who votes for Donald Trump is, is racist. That's no, that's you. You're no longer teaching. Uh, now you're on a pulpit and you are of no use to the education system at all. And it, it goes across the board. And I think uh, when I was growing up, teachers had a strong code of moral ethics. Uh, we didn't see this, you know, this thing where, but uh, again, the ones who make the inappropriate moves and do the things are the ones who get the, the airtime and the ones who are actually out there busting their butts to educate our, our kids and, do the, and work with parents don't get any airtime. And living the example and setting the example as well, which is a big, big part of this whole thing. We are talking <laughs> with, we are talking with a political, uh, well, Fox News contributor and political analyst Tyrus. Uh, you have probably seen him on Greg Gutfeld's show, maybe even on The Five. Uh, he's all over the place. Uh, the reason we have him on the air this morning is because we have a huge announcement here. Tyrus is big and live and coming to our house. He is going to be the featured speaker at the 2022 Republican Party in Medina County final dinner. It is coming up on October 28th at the Weymouth Country Club in Medina. And uh, Tyrus, I know you are going to bring just a load of information and a ton of fun as well. You like to blend comedy, uh, you know, and, and you talked about it a moment ago. You know, you're a conservative, but, you know, you are also a, still a wrestler and you are an entertainer and you're not the suit and tie guy most of the time. So what can we expect from you on a stage at a podium uh, in Medina on, on October 28th? Well, my biggest thing is a lot of the stuff that we look at, we have to laugh about. I mean, that's the only way you can really deal with some of it. Uh, and um, my message is simple, is relax, focus on what's important. And sometimes the best defense is to just look at some things for what they are and just have a good laugh about it. Because, you know, what makes you laugh makes you cry in a lot of situations. So uh, we'll get some laughs, some information. You get a little bit about my story, my perspective, how I uh, process information and, and how I look at things. And I've always uh, kind of, I'm the middle of the road guy, but I have strong conservative views when it comes to government. And I do share a little bit of that. And, um, you know, a lot of life story, a lot of fun stories of that. I've had a lot of jobs and fired a lot. So uh, it's a lot of different, uh, uh, but basically it's my point of view. Uh, it's a fun show. Um and there's a lot of uh, audience participation because some of my best jokes come from uh, questions and stuff from the audience. It's kind of like a fun game I like to play. And uh, I like it. it's also, 
I, it is also like it's uh, it brings realness because you know I think people are missing um, just general entertainment and and comedy that's unafraid, it's not scripted or prepared or or cleared. Uh, you, you like know, improv? And, you like to do improv, huh? That's good. Like Gutfeld, I don't think I've ever been in a meeting for Gutfeld or Fox News, and a lot of times they'll. You know, because some people are, you know, they prepare and I, everyone has a different style, but they'll always ask me like, oh, you know, there's anything, any question, particular question you want me to ask you. And I'm just, just far away because I'm like a dog chasing the tire. I don't know the way the show's going. I'm a sponge. I, I absorb everything. And then in the moment, I'll give a response. Besides, 90% of the time, you'll have a great idea and you got a panel of four people. Someone else is going to have it. So, and I usually go last. I'm typically the anchor on all the shows. So I, I kind of tie it up in a bow. So this this show is kind of uh, uh, a much like if you see me in a lot of complaints like you don't talk enough you know it's only a minute and a half each one or whatever well you get the full you get the full version of, of me uh, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Tyrus, um, you mentioned well we spent a great deal of this conversation talking about parents' rights and their role in education and so forth. Um, we mentioned the midterms, so you're going to be in town here just about uh, two and a half weeks before we actually decide who's going to lead this country legislatively. Uh, in the midterm elections, give me the top three issues. If education is one of them, since we just hit it, that's fine. What are the top three issues that are going to decide whether or not the Republicans regain power in the Senate and the House or the Democrats control it? Well, it really comes down to to two issues. It really comes down to uh, does America want to fixate on first world problems or do we want to deal with what's uh, boots on the ground problems? Uh, and that, of course, is inflation, crime and education. So those are the three things that have been uh, mostly, I think, destroyed and hurt the fabric of this country. Uh, Americans just don't feel safe in the streets anymore. You know, uh, you look at, unfortunately, my own uh, my hometown. I live uh, in Mandeville, just outside of New Orleans. But right now, we have a, a horrible title of being the murder murder capital uh, of yeah. the United States. You know, uh, Chicago situation, New York. I, I see it every day out here. Um, you know, it's it's everywhere. L.A. You know, uh, we've emboldened. The, the progressives and their first world issues have emboldened the worst part of our society. Um, you know, police officers, we, we spit in their face, we haven't paid them, uh, we've defunded them, you know, we've demoralized them, and now we're seeing the fruits of that labor. And I think that should be on the minds of it, not just parents, of any, any, any young or old person uh, who just has to walk to work, take a subway, drive. I mean, carjackings are up because we've emboldened the worst part of our society. But if you know, voting for someone who's going to change the way I address you uh, is to me just ludicrous. And of course, the Republicans have the responsibility since you are having Republicans are the only group that is willing to say out loud the problems in this country. And let's not forget immigration as well. And it is affecting every state because it's only a matter of time before a, a bus or a midnight plane from the administration shows up in, in your in your city in your neighborhood but those those are the hot button issues but it does no good to recognize them and not do anything about it so the republicans need to uh come in with their uh sleeves rolled up maybe do less tv interviews and get some work done so i think the american people want they want results we, they the republican party has stepped forward say we hear you and now it's time for them to actually get some work done uh, when they get in there. And hopefully, uh, if there's any moderate Democrats left, that they will fall in line and be like, you know what, my neighborhoods aren't safe, too. Because it's not just, you know, of course, in the media, all we hear about is the evil Republicans doing what the, the Democrats had started with, busing and flying people out. 
But, uh, you know, there's a Democrat in, uh, Democratic mayor or governor in Texas to do the same thing. But because he's a Democrat, they, they won't say anything about him. And that in itself has to stop. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hopeful that uh, Republicans will get in there and, and fix some of these real problems. And start with our police force. Like, first of all, let's give Amen. them a raise, number one. Give them a raise. Uh, give them a tax credit. I mean, we, we owe them. Uh, we see now more than ever how much they are the fabric of this country. Uh, and, you know, it, getting, you know, in the whole thing of making about racism and things like that is, is just a cop out. And it's an easy argument because you can't argue it, even though stats don't support it. Um, again, first world problems, uh, my yeah. pronoun. I, first of all, I have to know you to give you a nickname. Okay. That's another thing is I think the problem is, is that they, uh, this is the problem with this progressive group is that they think everyone follows them on Facebook and knows what they eat and what their nickname is. And we don't. So, and when I meet somebody, uh, I introduce myself. My name is Tyrus. I don't say, I don't tell you that, oh, well, uh, my friends call me Big Fella. You know, like, you create, you know, I have to know you. I don't know you, so I'm not going to know your nickname or what you want to be called. So, uh, that's, and that's not well, an issue. That's, Sorry, a great, just not- that's a great summary, and I, and I love that philosophy of it, too. We're talking with Tyrus, uh, who is coming. I want to get a couple of important plugs in here before I ask my last question of you. Uh, Tyrus is the guest speaker, the featured presenter at the 2022 RPMC Finance Dinner. That's Republican Party in Medina County. Tickets are available at medinagop.org. This is the official announcement of Tyrus as the guest speaker. Uh, it's going to be a great night. VIP passes are available. Standard tickets are available. If you get a VIP pass, this is the second plug, you will get a signed copy in addition to the uh, the um, uh, event itself. You'll get a signed copy of Tyrus's book, Just Tyrus, a Memoir. And uh, I'm assuming you write like you speak, which is very colloquial, very in-your-face, yeah. very matter-of-fact, very common sense. Uh, it's not. I love that, by the way. I love the presentation, and I have not read the book, but I'm very much looking forward to doing so. And I want other people to, to know that as well. Um, and Tyrus, last question I do have for you, and I want people to buy your book, and I want people to buy tickets to see you at the Medina County uh, GOP, or excuse me, MedinaGOP.org website for the Medina County event. Um, I mentioned the wrestling thing, and, I, and I'm and i embarrassed to say I didn't know you were still wrestling. I see you holding a belt when I see you on Gutfeld, and I just assume it's a, it's a prop, a symbolic. Ramirez, a former wrestling champion. I didn't realize you were with the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, yeah. and you are a current champion. And I'm, and I'm, yeah. Where do I yeah, see you? Where, do, where and when can I see you wrestle? Because I, I, I really legitimately did not know, and I apologize for that. Oh, it's all good. Uh, well, uh, NWA is uh, weekly. It's on the Fight TV app, and uh, but we can also see us on on YouTube, and we have live events. Uh, we actually have one uh, November twelfth in New Orleans, uh, Hard Times Three. So, okay. uh, Billy Corgan, uh, you would know him from Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, he's the owner of the NWA now, and. I'm just not ready to, to hang it up yet. It's, you know, my, I get to see my buddies and uh, the, the work schedule uh, works really well with my Fox schedule. So that's why I, I still do it. But uh, the, the, the door is getting ready to close probably another year. And I'll probably hang up the boots just because uh, work is just getting uh, my other callings in life. We tend to keep growing. But until then, I'm just going to keep going and I'll have that title. Till take someone takes it from me. Terrific. But, um, you know, that, that, that is all. what's the app called again? The, the, the fight app? Oh, uh, fight! It's the uh, fight TV app. Fight TV app. Good. I want to make sure. Like I said, I was a wrestling fan. I was a Hulkamaniac back in the day. Yeah. 
and uh, we, a lot of legends and stuff are there, and uh, it's it's a good time, and it's more awesome. old school, more physical style. So awesome, uh, love it, love it, can't wait to see it. Uh, Tyrus, so he's still uh, uh, clanging heads in the ring, and he is uh, filling heads with knowledge on Fox News as a Fox News contributor. He is uh, also filling pages. The book is just Tyrus, a memoir, and he is going to be the guest speaker at the Medina County Republican Party Finance Dinner. It's October twenty eighth. Tickets are available now at medinagop.org. Tyrus, I really enjoyed it, man. Keep up the great work. That's a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing you on the 28th of October. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. God bless. All right, there he is. That's Tyrus all over it. Uh, It's 9.57. We'll take our time out here so that we can clear the decks. It's Tuesday, and that's cursing our day. He's joining us after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two of this very, very packed Always Right radio show uh, is underway. We are we are slammed. We started out with Jonathan Broadbent. Just talked to Tyrus. Coming up uh, next hour, Nick Phillips will join us. Also, our friend Jim Bucks from uh, Blue Line Unlimited. Very important fundraiser coming up for a police officer in great need. Uh, all of those conversations before and after our next conversation, which, of course, is with our good friend Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a sometimes columnist for National Review Online. He is a sometimes and best-selling author. He is a full-time attorney. And, of course, he is also um, the host of the Kersenow Report right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kersenow, welcome back to the program. Come on out here and greet your cheering fans. How are you, Pete? I'm doing great. I'd do better if Kersenow was in for one play during the onside kickoff attempt. <laughs> I should have been on the hands team. I mean, I've been watching Browns football since the Mesozoic era. And outside of the drive, which was much more important in terms of its ultimate outcome, of course, I cannot recall a collapse quite like what we saw on Sunday. And frankly, let's, I'm, a, I'm a Browns fan, but that's unforgivable. That didn't look like a professional football team. I don't want to pile on on them, but my goodness, we have tens of thousands of people who pay good money to go into that stadium, and they didn't see a professional football team at the end of that game. Well, uh, you know, the the funniest part about it is what I read after the fact is that the last time something even remotely similar similar to this happened was uh, way back in 2001, I think it was, and... It was also the Browns. <laughs> they blew a 14-point lead with 30 seconds left in a game. Not not a minute 55, 30 seconds, and they blew a 14-point lead and lost. Is that the New overtime. Orleans game? That, that New uh, Orleans game? Uh, no, I think it was a Bears game. Uh, is, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to look it up again. I didn't pay that close of attention. But I did note that they said that uh, this is such a rarity for a team in under two minutes to, uh, with a 13-point or greater lead to lose in under two minutes. The last time it happened was also to the Browns, and I believe it was a Bears game. So, yeah, it's just what the it's, omen was it, the missed 
extra point. Whenever you see that in any game, college yeah. or pro, when you see an extra point missed, that's a bad, bad omen. I can't tell you how many times I've been watching, you know, I mean, how long I've been watching pro and college football. When that happens, it means the team that missed it's ultimately going to lose. Hey, hey, Pete, um, you mentioned you've been watching since the Mesozoic era. Um, is there any truth to the rumor that you were the original model for the uh, Brownie the Elf? <laughs> I, did, I read that somewhere. I didn't know if it was true or not, though. When I was a little kid, I went to Hiram to watch the Browns practice, and Jim Brown almost ran over me. You, you could sit along the sidelines. There was no <laughs> fence or anything else like that, and Jim Brown ran a sweep. He had to jump over me because he was being strung out of bounds by, I think it was Ed Parker, maybe it was Bill Glass, don't remember which. It was the high, I was a hero after that in my school. For you know, It was just amazing. But uh, I think what happened there is, at that time, they took a picture of me, and then I became the icon, the elf. <laughs> All right, Pete, let's uh, series up for a minute. Before we get to our first topic of the day, uh, I just want to make an announcement. I've already been made, I've already made rather, but I want to get you in on it now, since you're a part of it. The, we're getting the band back together again, finally. It's been far too long because, because of COVID issues. We couldn't get together in a big building again and do what we're about to do. The Battleground Talkers Tour on October 22nd at the IX Center. You will be a featured part of this presentation. Presentation, as will I, as will the officer Brandon Tatum, the professor Hugh Hewitt, and the uh, brilliant author Eric Metaxas. Um, that that's going to happen. What is the? I did this math yesterday. It's uh, nine. It's seventeen days from the actual election day, and we're going to get together to try to rally voters and rally conservatives to get out there and make sure that Ohio does its part in restoring power um, to conservative constitutionalists. Um, in the United States uh, House and Senate. So this is a big deal coming up on the 22nd of October. Yeah, I'm really excited. I, I thank you and uh, WHK for inviting me again. I'm, uh, we have a phenomenal lineup, uh, great intellects, and we have a lot of important things to discuss. Uh, I'm going to be loaded for bear. I mean, this is going to be fun. It's going to be, uh, I think, educational. I think it's important. I, I think that we're at a uh, critical juncture in America. You know, you could say that almost every day, but with what's going on in the Biden administration, the cultural fights that we're having, the current state of affairs and foreign policy, this is a time when, you know, all good men need to come to the aid of their country. This is a very important time. So I'm hopeful to see a big crowd like we've seen in previous uh, events such as this. Uh, I've got a lot to say, and uh, I'm going to be going a million miles an hour. So I hope everybody comes. Well, we will try to keep up with you. Uh, Pete, let's let's dive into this. Um, Ron DeSantis, as you know, sent a plane or two of uh, 50, a grand total of 50 migrants, uh, to Martha's Vineyard, uh, kind of keeping in the same uh, tradition and pattern started by Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. They were overwhelmed by millions, literally uh, millions of, of uh, illegal crossers. Uh, over the course of the 19, 20 months of the Biden administration, 200,000 in the month of August alone, 203,000 crossed there. So they, they, they send a few of them to the blue cities where they don't seem to be impacted by this illegal immigration and this open border. And we know the story from, from, from there. Um, the left has complained. They have called Ron DeSantis cruel and inhumane for sending these migrants as pawns into a terrible place, apparently, like Martha's Vineyard. One num, uh, num, scald, uh, sheriff in Texas, uh, a left wing sheriff in Texas says he is launching an investigation into, uh, a criminal, a criminal investigation into what DeSantis did there, despite being, quote, unable to point to any crime that was committed. 
He literally said that when he was announcing his investigation because this is just cruel and inhumane. Well, last night, Ron DeSantis finally fired back and responded just a little bit to some of that. And, Pete, I want you to hear this before you give us your take. They all sign consent forms to go, and then the vendor that, that is doing this for Florida provided them with a packet that had a map of Martha's Vineyard. It had the numbers for different services on Martha's Vineyard, and then it had numbers for the overall agencies in Massachusetts that handle things involving immigration and refugees. So it was clearly voluntary, and all the other nonsense you're hearing um, is just not true. And, and why wouldn't they want to go, given where they were? They were in really, really bad shape, uh, and they got to be cleaned up, everything treated well, and then put in a situation. Because, hey, Sean, there are jobs available in Martha's Vineyard. There is lodging available in Martha's Vineyard. Had they lived up to their what they build themselves at as a sanctuary jurisdiction, they could have absorbed those people without a problem. Of course, Martha's Vineyard did not want to absorb those people. They like hanging the sign saying all are welcome here, including immigrants. Uh, but then when it comes to, to living with them, they had them out of there within 44 hours. They called <laughs> the army and literally said, get these people out of here, take them to a base somewhere. They're not staying here. Uh, so he responded to the allegations that they were tricked into going to a place they did not know by pointing out about the maps to Martha's Vineyard and the phone numbers for services and whatnot. But that's not the only thing he said that I want you to react to, Peter Kirstenau. This This part needs to be said as well. Millions of people since Biden's been president illegally coming across the southern border. Did they freak out about that? No. You've had migrants die in the Rio Grande. You had 50 uh, die in Texas in a trailer because they were being neglected. Was there a freak out about that? No, there wasn't. You've had criminal aliens get across that southern border and victimize Americans, killing some, raping some. Was there any type of outrage about that? No. And then, of course, we know fentanyl deaths are at an all-time high. Where's that fentanyl coming from? Over the, it's coming over the open southern border. It's only when 50 get put into Martha's Vineyard, which wasn't saying they didn't want this. They said they wanted this. They said they were a sanctuary jurisdiction. These were people who were basically destitute and then put in a situation where they could have succeeded, but that was all virtue signaling. And not only did they not welcome them, they deported them the next day with the National Guard. So there's a lot of uh, ground to cover there, Pete. I want to give you wide latitude to address all of that. The idea that what DeSantis did was cruel and inhumane, the idea that he tricked them and sent them to a place where they didn't realize what they were volunteering to do when they got on those planes, and then moreover, the reception that they got from Martha's Vineyard in and out of there in less than two days because they were not welcome on that island. What we just heard there was, I think, a brilliant summary, to which I can't add much at all, of the hypocrisy of the left and why most ordinary Americans are livid about what is going on at the southern border and the lack of response by the administration. Their abject failure to fulfill their constitutional obligations. And it's also a vivid example of why I think people on the right love Ron DeSantis. He seems to be a little bit more polished Trump. That doesn't mean he's better than Trump or anything of that nature. Don't get me wrong. But he seems to have thought through many of the policy implications, because he's a politician. Trump was never a politician, of the things that are really bothering Americans in terms of what this administration is doing and the Democrats and the left have generally been doing over a number of years. Um, 
And because he fights, and he fights in such a strategic way, he is demonstrating why it's important, not, not just to vote for him or vote for Republicans, but why it's important to recognize that Democrats, the current iteration of the Democratic Party, is poisonous to our understanding of the Constitution and the United States of America is currently constituted. These guys have been allowing, as you just indicated, 2.2 million people are going to be coming across this border illegally in this fiscal year. In this fiscal, by the end of this month, 2.2 million, bare minimum. That's who we know of, okay? That's, think about that. We should pause for a moment and really unpack that. 2.2 million that's that would make it the sixth largest city in the United States if it were imported in. And we don't know who they are. What we do know is that at least 50 people who were on the terrorist watch list were identified as having crossed 50 having been identified that you could probably um, put that, you know, at least a, an exponent of a nine or 10 is probably what the real number is. It only took absolutely because to they don't the twin towers. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Peter. And, and it's important to note that last part, uh, because, um, among the 4 million ish that have crossed that counts nearly a million gotaways, uh, as they call them. And the ones who are most likely to get away and who are going to try to, you know, many of them cross and then immediately turn themselves in because they know how the process works. They say asylum and they, and, and, uh, the American, uh, and the Biden administration says, okay, uh, go, go to wherever you want to go and we'll call you back for your asylum hearing some other time because they, they blew off the Trump, um, uh, remain in Mexico policy. But the ones who don't want to turn themselves in and just claim asylum are the ones, as you said, that are on the most wanted ter- uh, 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 terrorist watch list. And those individuals, how many of them are absorbed into 850, 900,000 gotaways that they know of that just did not turn themselves in, but literally just crossed and ran and made it because there is nowhere near enough bodies or resources to chase them down? Yeah, and I really, it pains me to say this, and I don't want to cause any hysteria, but it's just common sense that if we've identified 50, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, and at some point, the law of averages dictates that something bad is going to happen, and that's on the Democrats and Biden. It's on us, too. You know, we haven't been fighting vigorously enough to preserve the republic and make sure people like Biden and his entire cadre of, of enablers aren't running the show. This is important stuff. And it's all the other implications of illegal immigration. You don't have a sovereign country if you have illegal immigration, at least at this level. This is extraordinary what's going on here. This is, this is war. When you have millions invade, that's extraordinary. It's, it's incomprehensible. So all of the maladies associated with that, heightened crime, disease, disrespect for the rule of law, mm-hmm. uh, the, the drug epidemic, it's, it's, it's unforgivable. And they have not secured the border, a clear impeachable offense. It's one of the primary obligations of the commander-in-chief to secure the border. There's legislation mandating that he do so. He has failed abjectly in that regard. They were impeaching Trumps for, you know, if, if he were to belch, they would impeach him. This is serious. It's derogating not just our sovereignty, but every economic interest of Americans, our, our uh, right and expectation to safety and national security, our economic interests, the econ- the economy. Mark Krikorian 
had written, I think, a, a very, and he and I have talked about this in the past, he wrote a very good essay where they had done an analysis at the Center for Immigration Studies as to the public charge implications. How much would illegal immigration cost American taxpayers? And I don't recall the exact figure right now, but it was in the hundreds of billions. And I, I would estimate, I think it was $400 billion. And I would estimate that's probably a low estimate. Mark is very, very um, circumspect. He's very I'll, I'll ask him for that update to tomorrow. Because uh, uh, he, is, he is among those I'm going to be interviewing when I'm in D.C. tomorrow Excellent. and Thursday for the I, Federation I couldn't make it for American Immigration Reform. I've, got, I've got, got to deal with my day job, and this is like sure. the fourth time in a row I've missed it. But, uh, but I've, I've, I've heard that number before. I don't know what the updated number is, but I will ask him that number. Yeah, You're right. it's an it extraordinary is, number. It is. It's in the it's, hundreds of billions of dollars, and I think that's over just a short term also. And we're paying for that. There used to be a requirement that somebody coming into this country not be what's known as a public charge on our treasury. In other words, there shouldn't be a net outflow of tax dollars to take care of an individual coming into the country. He should be contributing by virtue of his efforts and, and tax revenues, etc., to our economy. But we are having a net outflow. We are paying for this, not to mention the burden on our schools when you've got tens of thousands of kids because of the uh, Plyer versus Doe decision. You know, we've got to educate them. And it's a drain on these already overtaxed communities, these strained poor communities, not Martha's Vineyard. You don't have to worry about Martha's Vineyard, but all those poor, mainly Hispanic communities along the southern border that are being devastated by this. People who are not paying taxes are getting the benefit of our tax dollars. It goes on and on and on. And DeSantis doing this, they call it a stunt. We need more stunts. Republicans are just starting and they're learning from Donald Trump. And that's why he drew, drove the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, nuts, is because he was the first Republican who seriously fought back in a long, long, long time. DeSantis is doing something similar. You and I talked about, talk about stunts. We wanted them to deposit these individuals in front of Kamala Harris's residence. They did. We want them to go to Blue Enclaves. They did. I want them to go to Rehoboth Beach and deposit them right outside of Biden's uh, home there. And they haven't done just, that yet. Just, just like they did just like they did outside the Naval Observatory, right outside where Kamala lives. Precisely in, in right. And that's what they I have to do. If they won't go to the border, bring the border to them. That's exactly right. Hey, Pete, precisely um, right. Now, and, go ahead. Well, I'm just real short here. It's 1024. We missed our break, so let me get a quick uh, time out here, and we'll come right back. Personnel continues after this. Always right radio. It's outrageous. It is dangerous. On the answer. It's outrageous. Okay, uh, 1027, and yes, we are dangerous. Uh, Peter Kirsten now continues with us. You know, Pete, going back to the issue there, and I'll let you pick it up, um, with uh, Ron DeSantis and flying the uh, migrants to, to Martha's Vineyard, uh, the left immediately started saying, he's human trafficking. Ted Cruz said this, Right now, the biggest human trafficker on the face of the planet is Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. He has transported hundreds of thousands, millions of illegal aliens, populating them now and putting them in red states. He's happy to put them in red states where it's not the rich people's concerns. It's the little people's concerns, end quote. Um, he's not wrong. Go ahead, Pete. That's exactly right. We've seen it. 
We saw those flights in the dead of night. No one was talking about it. The media complicit. They go along with this. They didn't report anything. As I've said in the past, talk to some of your liberal friends if you have any. Just listen to them. They're completely oblivious to Biden having transported these folks by plane in the dead of night because ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, the whole crew don't report it. They only become apoplectic when DeSantis does something effective, such as sending them to Martha's Vineyard to display their rank hypocrisy. We can't have a functioning democracy in this country where the overwhelming majority of media are simply stenographers for the regime, the people in charge. That's what happens in totalitarian countries. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're totalitarian. I'm simply saying we're adopting some of the attributes of a totalitarian country. And eventually we may find ourselves, maybe not totalitarian, but in a a fashion that we hadn't expected, that the founding fathers hadn't expected. When we see what's happening also with the Justice Department and all the things they're doing, uh, you should be a little bit more concerned about it. Nonetheless, I think DeSantis, um, I think um, some of our other governors are starting to realize that the way we we must do this, it's not simply a stunt. Stunts are fine, and I think they have their uses. I have no problems with doing certain stunts because you can see what the reaction has been from the media and from the Democrats, but I repeat myself. But I think that it's, it's important to get some guts about you, to fight back. Again, I'll repeat Larry, we've got a country to save here, and that's literal. These folks in just a year and a half have so derogated the interests of the American public, the, the Constitution, our national sovereignty, you name it. We're in desperate straits right now. Now, everything is relative. We're not desperate compared to, say, where we were in the Great Depression or during World War II. But given where we are on a relative basis, we shouldn't be this desperate with the resources that we have and it's all intentional you can take a a straight line and draw it from a biden democrat policy to some type of failure whether it be in the economy and gas prices inflation immigration foreign policy they have done taken overt action demonstrably adverse to the interests of the united states and where you can show the adverse impact of it. It's not amorphous. It's not something where there's a domino effect that we have to look at something two, three, four years down the road and maybe it had some type of uh, minor effect. No, it is the primary impact, the primary causation for many of these things. And and the biggest thing right now that's visible, of course, is the border. Peter Kersenow, uh terrific as always. Pete, we'll take our time out now for news. We've got a number of other issues to get into, including Title IX latest and what is going on right now at the Ohio Board of Education. It is not good. It is not good at all. And I'll let you uh, uh, comment on that as we continue. AM 1420, The Answer. Oh. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now. We continue. One more segment with Peter Kersenow. 
Peter and I have talked on uh, numerous occasions about Title IX and about defending women's sports, defending girls, period, as beings, as uh, as existing, as being allowed to be represented by science and biology and not by somebody's feelings, um, and about their privacy and their protection as well. So we've talked about Title IX. Right now in Wash- or Washington, beg your pardon, in Columbus, they are, the Ohio Board of Education is holding hearings on a resolution uh, put forth by one board member, uh, Brendan Shea, we talked to him last week. It is very, very clear his resolution is simply about protecting kids. The left has turned it into, no, you are assaulting trans kids or LGBTQ kids. You are harming them. Uh, Peter, I want to I want to merge uh, Brendan Shea's resolution, which is, is terrific, and it is very, very reasonable in common sense and based in appropriateness for ages when it comes to sexuality and alternative lifestyles and identity and so on and so forth. I want to merge that <clears throat> with this uh, series of tweets from Christopher Rufo. Uh, I know you're familiar with him. He is uh, doing some of the best work on this particular issue uh, with respect to the trans movement and uh, erasing women from uh, from uh, uh, from our existence, basically. So Christopher tweeted a three-tweet series yesterday, or thread yesterday, that reads the following. Here's the agenda to fight radical gender theory in schools. One, ban instruction on gender and sexual identity in K-5. through Two, mandate parental notification and consent before the use of different names or pronouns. Three, restrict sports to biological sex, period. Four, restore the primacy of parental rights. Five, prohibit teachers and counselors from talking to children in K-8 through about their sexuality without parental notification and consent. Uh, what was I on? Six, require that schools post sex-slash-gender curriculum on their websites for full transparency. And seven, require that parents affirmatively opt in to sexuality lessons. Rufo writes, these are all 70-30 issues with strong support from parents, women, and Latinos. This is the new conservative coalition, and Republicans should do everything in their power to protect families from radical gender ideology. It's morally right. And it's politically powerful. So, Peter, um, as I say, that was written by Rufo. That was not written by Brendan Shea. But so much of what Brendan Shea wrote in this resolution that is being discussed right now at the Ohio Board of Education, um, they, they cross over. It is a very, very similar type of construct. What are your thoughts on that and on the idea? Sadly, I can report to you because i got somebody who's watching it for me. The number of people who are testifying down there during that board hearing right now overwhelmingly opposed to Shea's resolution, calling him and others um, phobic and uh, homophobic, transphobic, and, and bigots, etc. cetera. Uh, so Title IX and the changes that the Biden administration are putting in are coming, and it looks like there's nothing we can do to stop it. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, they're very well organized, and that's not a surprise. And I commend Brendan Shea and, uh, among others, John Stover of Ohio uh, Value Voters and others who have been on the front lines of this. And Christopher Rufo has been brilliant on this for a couple of years now um, at the federal level. I've done my little bit, you know, getting in touch with Merrick Garland and uh, making sure that people were aware of the um, Justice Department's efforts to almost criminalize parental involvement in matters such as this, at least with respect to their involvement with school board on issues like this. Um, this is, let's start from a political perspective. This mm-hmm. is a winning issue. If you're a Republican 
and you are cowed by the left's pushback on this, then you shouldn't be running for office because, as Rufo says, this is a 70% issue. Parents are firmly behind you. Just witness Virginia as one example, and there are hordes of other examples. So if you can't get behind this issue, you have no business running. You're an incompetent politician, just from the standpoint of whether you win or lose. Second, this is important. Uh, This goes to our kids, but let me back up a little bit and look big picture. Uh, This is, and you know, um, this is not some grand conspiracy or anything of that nature, but the effort here is not merely to affect kids or promote the trans agenda. And I would argue that that's actually an ancillary objective. The trans agenda is only ancillary. It's used as a wedge because, as we have seen over 60, 70 years, Americans, and rightly so because Americans are generally good people, don't want to be considered discriminate, uh, discriminating, okay, that they are discriminating against any group of people. So they use the trans issue as a wedge to get in a whole host of what would otherwise be objectionable propositions. And the idea is to separate parents from their kids and interpose the left's vision of society into the schools by, by separating the parents from the kids. And, you know, the trans agenda is one of the things they will use to separate the two. And they will claim that if you're opposed to some of the more lunatic propositions out there, that you are anti-trans. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's separating kids from the parents. And we've seen during the course of the pandemic how parents became alarmed because we've had overt evidence of many teachers, not all, but many teachers and many school boards of affirmatively trying to separate parents from kids and interposing their, meaning the school board's agenda or these radical teachers' agenda, between parents and kids. They want to shape society in a certain way, and they know, as Lenin knew, as Trotsky knew and others, and I don't want to go back, you know, hundreds of years, but they articulated the fact that if you give me a generation or two generations of kids, I will have transformed society. This is not rocket science. It's perfectly plain. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's something we've seen in a number of societies over over a hundred years. It's important for parents to remain involved and strident in the protection of their kids and the ancillary benefit, of course, is we protect society. It is nuts to allow individuals who are not parents to dictate the outcomes, uh, the educational outcomes of children, independent of what parents want. No parent should permit that. No parent should be oblivious or blind to it. If you're simply sending your kid to school and once you put them on the bus or drop them off, that's the end of it and you don't ask anything about it, you are committing parental malpractice on steroids. But this goes to society because this is what shapes our society and it's becoming an increasingly socialist society. That's bad news on a host of levels. We don't have to get into that. Nonetheless, learn the lesson of Glenn Youngkin. Big time winning issue, as Rufo says, it's a 70% favorable issue. Ron DeSantis doing the same thing. Ron DeSantis is just so much fun because he likes poking people for if no other reason. Even if you put the interests of kids and society aside, those huge issues, it's just fun to watch guys like DeSantis and Trump. It is a lot of fun because we've always seen uh, Republicans just kind of prone in the in the face of assaults from the media and Republic and Democrats. But I repeat myself. So uh, keep alert, everybody out there. Keep alert to this. The good news is. When the Biden administration recently tried to change the rules under Title VII 
and they will do so, by the way, because they don't care what the comments are, but they proposed changes to Title IX that would, among other things, there's a whole host of ramifications, but it would permit for um, males and females to be showering together, males and females using the same restrooms, a whole host of things, and it would eventually result in the complete destruction of women's sports under Title IX by allowing males to compete against females. The good news is that the notice and comment period ended September 12th with the greatest number of comments ever submitted for any regulation in the history of the United States. Now think about that. The hundreds of thousands, if not millions of rules and regulations that have been promulgated, this one set around, I mean, blew off the doors. And the last time I looked uh, before the comment period closed, there were well, nearly 100,000 individual comments registered mainly by alarmed parents, but also various interest groups too. So this is important. Now, will that change? the Biden administration's determination to radically change Title IX? No, because they're ideologues. They won't care that the vast majority of comments from interested parties, parents and others, just vehemently oppose the proposed changes. But what happens, because I've litigated these kinds of things, what happens is those comments are supposed to shape the rules and regulations. They can't simply ignore them. And if there's evidence that the administration has ignored that in shaping the rule and regulation, you can attack that in litigation. And in addition to that, um, it gives litigators like me, we like to think we can come up with all of the reasons why we can attack this particular rule or regulation doesn't comport with this proposition, whatever it may be. But when you've got tens of thousands of individuals putting their minds to this, you can, they come up with ideas that I'd never even thought of, despite the fact I think I'm really smart about these things and I spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. When you have got tens of thousands of people putting their heads together on this, they can come up with great strategies, great arguments in opposition to the rules and regulations. So a long-winded answer to say this is the fight of our lifetimes right now. There are many fights, but Rufo's correct about this. If we don't get this right, we have lost not just a generation of kids in the most vile and despicable way. Let's, let's face it, if anybody saw Tucker's show last night, uh, I think Tucker has nailed it, and he's been on top of this, and he's been fearless about this. We need to be fearless in the defense of our kids, number one. That's the most immediate issue, but also in defense of the United States of America, because as I've said, this is a wedge so that the left can insert their agenda into our society without opposition. Yeah, well, and they've been very successful at it. You covered a ton of the uh, examples of that. Um, and you're right. I mean, you know, the, the, this is a moment which, which in which Republicans, and I hate to say Republicans because it makes it sound like it's pure partisanship, and it's not. It's more about, you know, uh, constitutionalists. It's more about conservative constitutionalists, people who are uh, believers in, you know, the family values that, that come with Western civilization. <clears throat> with uh, capitalism and so forth. That's all we're talking about is a restoration of normalcy. And that normalcy did not discriminate or or, or uh, lead to bullying or bigoted actions being taken against uh, people on these massive scales the way that they think they are. But, but 
Pete, the, the, the question is, is will the quote-unquote Republicans or the conservative constitutionalists rally together enough to say we will take back, we will follow what Christopher Rufo just laid out there, we will push for support of things like the giant resolution that Brendan Shea put out there and have it manifest itself, not overnight, it's not going to happen overnight, but have it manifest itself in political victories where it's integral that we win. Uh, and uh, and obviously in November, you know, the, the parents of this country have already stood up. They did it last year. That's why we got so many, you know, massive, so much massive turnover in Board of Education uh, slots filled by concerned parents who believe in all of the things that we just discussed. So it's it's a it's a it's a long term coming. And, and nobody likes to think of it that way. I'd like to wave a magic wand and fix it all right now, but we won a lot of board seats last uh, last year. Now we got to win a lot of congressional seats and Senate seats this year in order to really kind of start to restore some sort of normalcy here. And, Peter, I'll, I'll close with this question for you. If history is allowed to be written in the future, and I don't know that it will be, I don't know that they will allow if we lose, certainly, the new authors of history, you know, decades from now, will look back at this time as the time of, you know, the great change. But will history judge us kindly if we allow the the greatest gift anybody has ever been given, and that is the gift of this nation, this republic by our founders, if we allow to slip through our grasp because of uh, so many of these things that you and I are discussing right now? How will history write, write about this? Well, you're right. Uh, you've highlighted the problem. That is, who's going to be writing the history? And if the left prevails, they're going to write it in a way that makes it all seem it's going to be a giant hagiography. It's going to be, this was the Enlightenment. Um, but if history is written accurately, uh, this is a critical period in the United States. We're not fighting a shooting war, but we're fighting a cultural war that will dictate the outcome of what America in the 21st century is going to be. Are we going to be a constitutional republic? Or are we going to be a socialist hellhole? And it's that stark. It's that clear. Because we can see, just in a year and a half of the Biden administration, with socialism light, so to speak, the deleterious outcomes, both from a cultural perspective, an economic perspective, just the living perspective, foreign foreign policy perspective. But so much has gone wrong. So much has gone bad. And it's not happenstance. It is directly attributable to a progressive policy implemented by the left. And so this is the time, this is the time of the great fight. It may not be a shooting war, but it's an intellectual war at bare minimum, and we've got to roll up our our sleeves. This has got to be a time when, as uh, I think it was uh, the outlaw Josie Wales said, you've got to get plum, mad dog, mean. <laughs> and I would exhort everybody Never, ever. I don't want to be political about this, but this has to go with, goes along with how we succeed as a country. You can no longer vote for any Democrat at any level. I've said this before. I have friends who in the past I voted for. They were Democrats, voted for judges, and so on and so forth. They were friends of mine. I like them. But it's part of the board. Even though your friend or the individual Democrat that you are inclined to vote for may be a decent guy, you think, you cannot give the Democrats any more power. I used to never be that stark in terms of partisanship. I would say it was a matter of liberalism, progressivism versus conservatism. But now, in 2022, those two things can't be distinguished. Democrats are progressives, and they follow the herd. You cannot vote for them if you want to preserve the United States of America as currently constituted. 
Peter Kersenow tying a nice bow on it, as he always does. Terrific uh, analysis, uh, Pete, and very well explained. Thank you so much, my friend. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Kersenow for one play. Stefanski, do you hear me? One play. He may not be there by the end of the year to give you that play. <laughs> if he keeps this up. Thank you, Pete. Take care, Bob. That's Peter Kersenow. It's 1054, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, real quick, on the way into the break, don't forget about Sunday. The annual family picnic hosted by the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County and the West Shore Republicans this Sunday, the 25th, in Berea. Keynote speakers Dave Yost, the Attorney General of this state, Dave Sp- uh, Robert Sprague, beg your pardon, the uh, Ohio Treasurer. Tickets are available uh, at 216-621-5417, 216-621-5417, if you want to join us for the, uh, the big annual family picnic on Sunday. We'll be back. Take Bob on the go by downloading the WHK Radio app on the Google Play Store. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll into our number three of a very, very, very packed show. My last show in Ohio for a couple of days. Tomorrow I'll be in Washington, D.C. in the shadow of the Capitol, broadcasting live from the Federation for American Immigration Reform event. Be there on Thursday as well, talking to some of the biggest newsmakers, policy deciders, and uh, frontline uh, personnel in this fight um, that is uh, that is ongoing over our southern border. It is a brutal situation that we are dealing with right now, absolutely brutal, and uh, there have to be some answers, and that's why FAIR hosts this event. I went to it and broadcast live there in 2018, again in 2019. And I will tell you this, uh, you know, we obviously we had to skip it on in 2020 because of COVID in 2021, but it's bigger now than it's ever been. It's more important now, I think, than it's ever been. And uh, be- that's because we have literally an open border. It is uh, uh, completely uh, the responsibility and the decision-making of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and uh, somebody needs to stand up. And FAIR is doing exactly that. There are going to be about 65 local and national talk show hosts that have been invited to broadcast live from this event. And uh, this is one of them. So I'll be there tomorrow and Thursday. You are going to want to make that appointment listening. 
um, because you have to educate yourself, and then you have to share the information that I share with you with everybody that you know so that we can all make good decisions on how to restore American sovereignty, American safety, American security by way of restoring our actual borders. You cannot have a country unless you have borders. So that'll be tomorrow and on Thursday. All right, I told you we were packed today, and we are. Now we're going to come back uh, locally here to Ohio issues. And I want to welcome to the program our good friend, uh, fellow WHK broadcaster and talk show host. He's also happens to be a uh, a very very highly respected trial attorney, uh, as well as being a host of the Advocate on Sunday nights at eight p.m. right here on AM fourteen twenty The Answer. And of course, I speak of the Advocate now, the candidate, kind of Nick Phillips, who joins us on AM fourteen twenty The Answer. Hey, Nick, how are you this morning? Well, very good, Bob. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh... It's definitely unusual being the person being interviewed uh, <laughs> rather than being the interviewer. And it's definitely different being the, the candidate. Uh, but uh, I am the candidate for the Ohio House District 15, a write-in candidate, sort of a Johnny-come-lately person and candidate to the uh, to the race. But uh, you know, part of this whole problem started with the redistricting issues that we couldn't settle early on as to what the people in my hometown, North Royalton, actually uh, district, what district we're going to be in. So when that finally came out and was finalized in May of this year, found out that we did not have a Republican candidate for the primary, which was going to be held in, uh, in August. August. So we tried August. So, <clears throat> so what happened, we, we went out and we got uh, signatures, you know, to be a state rep, the, number of signatures you need is 50 signatures to get into the primary. So within one afternoon, uh, you know, we have a whole lot of Republican voters in North Royalton. We got about 107 signatures just in an afternoon and got those down to the Board of Elections the next day. But uh, the official word from the Secretary of State's office was that, well, to be in that primary election in August, you should have had your petitions filed in February. (laughs) <laughs> which was interesting because in February I had no intention of running because we had a very good friend and a very good legislator, Tom Patton, who was right. representing North Royalton. And if I do anything with regard to the state legislature, that's to support Tom Patton. So uh, it's sort of a catch-22, if you remember that, that book and the story, Catch-22, which means... I do. Catch, yeah, you, you, you can't do anything. You cannot beat the system because the rules are contradictory and don't make sense. Yeah, so, and, that, and that's, that's a very, very frustrating aspect of this whole thing. You know, I mean, like you said, you you would have been inclined to support your existing representative and been very, very happy to do so, and then suddenly, oh, well, he they, he's not in that district anymore. The 15th district wasn't even finalized, as you say, until late May, and if you want to run for it, you had to file in February before something you didn't know was going to even exist, the way that it was drawn. I mean, the, the, this whole... Um, Redistricting, what did they take them? Four or five different attempts after four or five different uh, um, uh, uh, votes against the redistricting by the Ohio Supreme Court. And then they want to tell you, um, okay, now it's too late to actually have somebody on the, on the ballot. So now you, Nick Phillips, have to step in as a writing candidate. That's just, it's impossible to really comprehend how they think that's a fair system. Oh, oh, it is. I mean, and write-in candidates notoriously do not get a lot of votes unless there's some kind of major disaster out there. And mm-hmm. the major disaster we have here is the fact that we, we didn't have, I don't feel, a fair chance to get a Republican candidate on the ballot. Uh, a couple of opportunities were just not, not available to us. So, you know, what, 
what the voters have to do if if they are thinking conservative, and I'm not talking you know conservative way off the the right end of the swimming pool here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about you know just to get someone in who's going to go in and do a job that uh, they're going to have to do a little work, and the little work is to take an extra thirty five seconds maybe. 40 seconds at most, to write in the name Nicholas C. Phillips for District 15 uh, of the Ohio House of Representatives. And you know, you just said something, Nick, you just said something. I want to clarify this because you're right. You know, writing candidates typically don't get a lot of votes and they typically, you know, most people don't even know about them. So I don't even know how the process works. Do you have to write in Nicholas E. Phillips for your write in vote to count? If somebody just writes Nick Phillips, is it going to is it going to count for you? You know, I've been getting different answers to that question because that's that's an important question. Yeah. Because I look at look at voters. Essentially, voters are normal people who take the time to go in to vote. They get in. They they want to vote and they want to get out, and they don't want to be held up with with anything. So, uh, what what do they have to write? Well, the name Nicholas E. Phillips is a long name. What if they do write Nick Phillips? Uh, the the first thing that most write-in voters don't necessarily know about is the fact that the the ballot structure here in Cuyahoga County is such that you have to fill in the, the and darken in the circle next to the blank. Right. So when you see when you see the ballot the ballot you're going to see that there's the name of a Democratic candidate and then a blank underneath that and the circle to the left of that blank. So what happens is that the first thing you need to do is fill out that circle. If you don't, that ballot will not be counted at all for that particular race. So you have to fill in the circle and then write the name Nicholas E. Phillips. Now, what if you write Nick Phillips? Or what if you write N. Phillips? Right. Or what if you write that was my next Nick question. Phillips? Yeah, what if you just write Nicholas Phillips and you misspell Phillips? You spell it with one L rather than two. Right. Uh, it's up to the Board of Elections to look, actually physically look at that ballot and see if there's enough there to determine what is the intent of that voter. So, and it's it's interesting also is that if you're out there protesting a vote and you want to write Donald Duck or something, that will not be counted because in order to have a write-in vote count, you actually have to apply to the Board of Elections in a timely manner, which which I did back at the end of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be put on the ballot as a write-in, which is another interesting thing. The name will not be printed on the ballot at all, but the Board of Elections is required at each polling location to, if a voter comes in and asks for a list of the write-in candidates, they have to be provided with one. So there shouldn't be any question at all about how to spell the okay. name so or what race it is. That, yeah. that could be helpful. But we need... Um, here in the 15th district, we need people to actually take the, the election seriously and be able to put that little extra effort into thinking about being aware of a write-in candidate, asking about it, and they'll give you the pen, they'll give you the list of names, and you go in and you do it. And from what I understand, for the 15th district, I'm the only write-in candidate who happens to be a Republican. So let me ask so, you this, Nick. Off we go. Um, sure. You know, you, you say the people of the 15th need to take this seriously, and you're right. So here's the question. Why should they take you seriously? What makes you want to run for this? You know, I mean, obviously you described what happened and how there was no Republican, but a lot of people look at that and say, huh, there's no Republican on the ballot now because of the way this whole thing played out. And they just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I guess the Democrat wins. Not too many people say, well, then doggone it, I'll do it. I'll put my name on it. Tell me why, Nick Phillips, do you want to do this? And why should people take you seriously and say, this is the guy that should represent me in this district? 
Well, that, that's an interesting question because I, the first thing I need to do is explain to people why I'm not insane for getting involved in politics. <laughs> right. uh, because politics is certainly not a joyride. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, as a lawyer, I've been a lawyer for over 40 years, and both with the, uh, the Air Force and also in private practice. I've been a trial lawyer, and uh, I've been running a private practice where I deal with people and the law. So my entire life, I've been dealing on my entire adult career life has been working with the law, reading the law, interpreting the law, applying the law, uh, translating the law into a resolution for personal problems that people have who are non-lawyers. So spending all of these years uh, with dealing with the law and utilizing the law for the benefit of people, uh, I'm looking now that I'm older, more mature, more experienced, is to spend two years uh, in the state legislature uh, adding to the law, writing the law, questioning the laws, and uh, and acting to get the job done. So I, I'm not looking at being a career politician at all. I haven't been a career politician. Although I, I ran back in the uh, 80s and 90s, I, I ran four times for school board in North Road, and I was elected four times. Uh, but that's been a long time ago, and the whole idea of running in a larger district than a school district is uh, is daunting, as they say. Uh, for example, the 15th district has over 110,000 people in it, and you know, people may not know what's the 15th district at this point, but we start with my beloved North Royalton. We have about 31,000 people there. Then we go next door to Broadview Heights, and then up north uh, to Seven Hills, and beyond that to Brooklyn Heights. Then we skip over to the city of Brooklyn, and uh, the Republican Club just gave me their endorsement last night. Uh, and then we have the city of Cleveland. We have part of the third ward, and then we have the full wards 12, 13, and 14 in Cleveland, which has about 25,000 people in each ward. So that totals up to about 75,000 people. Total for the district, probably around... Uh, 110 to 120,000 people. So uh, it, it's a district that, uh, you know, there is a choice, and that's what I hope to do is offer the choice. But I, I look at this personally as a big payback. I mean, the law, this is a country of laws, the rule of law, not the rule of individual men. And our system works. And for the 40 years that I've been doing this, our system of laws and holding people accountable to the laws uh, has been something that's been working, and I've been able to see it put into effect every day. So to get back and hopefully get to work uh, and, and work in the legislature to get things done is something that I think is more of a, a payback. It's, it's my time to go in the barrel here and, and do something back for the state. Nick Phillips. Nicholas E. Phillips, if you're writing that in uh, on Election Day for the uh, Ohio House uh, District Number 15. He has uh, decided to step up and run, as he pointed out, because, uh, 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 Nick, you and I spoke last week. Obviously, I wasn't even aware of this. You uh, officially made yourself a writing candidate by informing the uh, Secretary of State on uh, in uh, late August. So here we are in the middle of uh, September, pushing toward the end. What kind of a campaign can you mount in that period of time to make people aware of your your credentials and obviously the fact that you are a writing candidate but but what 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 kinds of things are you going to do are you raising money are you are you doing the door to door thing or how can people become aware more of your campaign 
Ah, that's an excellent question because that's the first question we had. As I mentioned, you know, <laughs> this is sort of late in the campaign. Yeah. I haven't had months to go out uh, to do things. Uh, we just have weeks to do things, weeks to get things up and going. So it cannot be a traditional campaign. As a matter of fact, because we have so little time, we jokingly refer to our campaign committee as a strike force because we have to get out and do a whole lot of stuff immediately. And do we have to raise money? Yes, we have to raise money. Just uh, to open up an account, uh, I had to go online and go onto the IRS account and follow their 11 simple non-time-consuming steps to get a tax ID number, an employee ID number for an account. So we open up an account. We have a website that's up and, and active. And if anyone wants to check that out with my background, they can go to electnick, very simple, electnick.org. So I think I'm the only Nick running around here in Ohio. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently you're the only one running in the in the country uh, with, uh, because uh, that's a you know, that 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 web domain would be for everywhere. Uh, so good, I see it right now. I'm looking at it. I was actually looking at your uh, your law firm's page, and uh, then of course looking at your advocate page for WHK. But now I do see the candidate page, electnick.org. Right in Nicholas A. Phillips in District 15, and here's how they do it. I love that you got the graphic there that shows exactly what the bubble you were describing it to us, how you got to fill in the dark circle, or the dark oval, rather, next to your choice in a regular uh, vote, uh, but to do a write-in exactly how to do it. So um, you've got some endorsements. Is, is this, are these endorsements for your candidacy in this? Uh, when I see the names, uh, Matt yes. Bolin, Tom Patman, uh, Patton, uh, yep. John Nickel, Linda Barrett, Joanne Cressy of my Cretchy, thank you. Jeremy Dietrich and uh, Dietrich and uh, Don Car- Carbone. So that's kind of cool. And we have the North Road Mayor Larry Antiskevich, and uh, we're uh, oh, I passed I right over we, him. Thank you. Yeah, Mayor, yeah, Mayor yeah. We have our, yep. our mayor's support, uh, and and it's uh, it's interesting because we're, we're doing everything simultaneously in an accelerated, compressed manner. So we're we're going out to meet people. Uh, to meet uh, 110 to 120,000 people on their doorstep is probably not going to happen. Uh, the kind of committee uh, and kind of campaign that's going to be going on is probably going to be more high-tech, more digital. Uh, for example, one, one thing uh, we're, we're endeavoring to do is that this district has all kinds of really neat places in Cleveland that we're going to go to. So uh, I, want, I want to work with uh, Cleveland and also in our districts and go around and start putting out Instagrams with pictures of famous places within the uh, 15th district. Uh, so we're going to get that out. So if nothing else, it'll be interesting to watch if you get a, yeah, yeah. a Facebook or an Instagram note. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, Nick, I'm glad you came on. I'm glad you uh, are announcing this. We want to get everybody out there who knows uh, to investigate, to look, to learn more about you, learn about your record. Go to electnick.org uh, and understand that you have to write in Nicholas E. Phillips or Nick Phillips. Ask when you go to your polling place on uh, November 8th. Uh, ask them for a list of writing candidates if you're just not sure how to spell everything, but make sure that you do what you can do to support Nick Phillips, who I uh, have every confidence would do a very, very honest and wonderful job in the Ohio. State House. Nick, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it, my friend. Good luck to you, and uh, keep us posted as the campaign goes on. I'll stay in touch, and thank you so much for having me on today, Bob. Thank you, Nick. Nick Have Phillips from uh, uh, North Royalton. He's, uh, you know, he's he's the advocate on AM 1420, the answer on Sunday nights. Now he's the candidate in November. 
for the Ohio State House, and I think that's a terrific thing. That's it takes a lot of guts to step up and get into politics like this, particularly so late. But to get up there and be a writing candidate because the system was so screwed up by all of that redistricting. Redistrict all right, it's eleven twenty-six. We'll take our time out here. We've got news coming up. Then we're going to talk about how to support a Cleveland police officer uh, in need. Um, he's a hero. Period. Point blank. And uh, Blue Line Unlimited is doing everything that they can for him. Our friend Jim Bucks from BLU is going to be joining us to tell us about that coming up on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Well, I'll tell you what, we have been uh, busy today. Uh, I haven't given the phone number out once today because we have not had time for calls. We literally have been guests from start to end, and that's going to continue now. Also, get, uh, in addition to guests, we talked to Jonathan Broadbent, we talked to Peter Kersenow, we talked to Tyrus, we talked to Nick Phillips. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Jim Box. But in addition to all of the guests, it seems like I've got a ton of different events to promote to you as well. And we've been doing it. And I want to, uh, they're all important to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about them. Coming up on uh, Sunday, it's the um, Republican Party of Cuyahoga County and West Shore Republicans annual family picnic in Berea. Uh, certainly a worthwhile event to go and attend and have a great time with the family there in Berea. Hear from Dave Yost and Robert Sprague, among others. Told you about Tyrus coming to the... Finance dinner for the uh, Republican Party in Medina County next month. Uh, you need to check uh, the website out for that as well. Uh, of course, we've got our Battleground Talkers Tour coming up on October 22nd at the IX Center, in which I will join Brandon Tatum, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, and Peter Kersenow on that stage, getting you ramped up for the midterms. And now here is the latest. This one is coming up Sunday, so it's literally just a few days away. Uh, and Or excuse me, I beg your pardon. This one is coming up Saturday, Saturday, even fewer days away. And this is uh, a very important event. Um, Blue Line Unlimited, my good friends, who are enormous supporters, benefactors for police officers uh, and their families who are in great need for a variety of reasons, holding a huge benefit for Jonathan Rodriguez. And joining me now from BLU, our good friend Jim Bucks, uh, to tell us a little bit more about Jonathan Rodriguez's story and why we need to support and help him coming up this Saturday. Uh, Jim Bucks, so good. It's been a little bit of time since we spoke last, my friend. Good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. I, I'm doing good. I just appreciate you, you know, letting us come on there and talk about our upcoming event for Jonathan Rodriguez. Nothing easier to do, my friend, and I'm always glad to have you. For uh, people who don't know, Blue Line Unlimited uh, mm-hmm. provides assistance to not just police officers. I focus on cops, but it's first responders and their families, uh, by the way, of benefits, training, education, equipment, and so much more. It's a 501c3 uh, organization that just uh, is trying to benefit law enforcement and first responders throughout the United States. Uh, Jonathan Rodriguez, you and I have spoken about him before, um, but let's give everybody a little bit of, bit of a background. I described him before as being a Cleveland police officer who is in a very serious situation and that he's a hero. And uh, uh, unfortunately, as with so many heroes who put on that uniform and put their lives on the line every single day, uh, his was impacted very dramatically. And as such, so is his family's by, uh, by a criminal act. You want to tell us about it? 
Yeah, well, first of all, a little backstory was we learned about uh, Jonathan while we were preparing for the event, um, for our big May event. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked with Jackie Ketterer, uh, who was the mom, and Chris Porter, who was the brother of David Fahey Jr., who we um, had, you know, for our big event in May. And um, they were telling us about Jonathan Rodriguez and the family and all they're going through. So, you know, we went ahead and we did our May event, and, and um, we actually raised over $15,000 that night just from our guests there who came to the May event, mm-hmm. you know, towards what he's got a, a, you know, major financial burden here. And then uh, a side note to your listeners. Let, let, let's, had... let's tell his story, though, because we only have about four minutes uh, here, oh, okay. uh, Jim. So let's, let's tell Jonathan's sure, story and exactly what we're doing. Go ahead. Yeah, basically, he had uh, went out on a SWAT call out in uh, 2020, June of 2020, and on the way to the call out, they got hit by a drunk driver and injured, you know, all the officers that were in the vehicle. And Jonathan was by far the worst injured, and he's, you know, basically paralyzed from the uh, neck down, you know, at 28 years old, and he was forced to retire a couple of years later. He's his wife's a Cleveland police officer as well. He has two kids. You know, they require 24-7 care to take care of him. And so this surgery is basically about trying to improve his quality of life, help him to regulate his body temperature. And, um, you know, we're, we're praying for a miracle for him as well throughout, you know, this whole event here. But as you said, you know, Sometimes people are injured or something happens and it's devastating and the family has to live with that. Right. And, and you know, the, the news media is done with it and it's like move on to the next story. So this is a daily uh, affair for them. And they're pretty private uh, families. So I just want to say that they didn't come out seeking help. Cleveland SWAT, Cleveland police, as well as us, joined together to try to help them and, you know, to pay for this expensive mm-hmm. surgery. You know, from what I recall uh, from that event in May, uh, I learned a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the, the nature of his spinal injury is a very, very unusual one where you just mentioned regulating his body temperature. He has to be constantly regulated, wrapped in blankets. Uh, if he gets too cold, it is it is terrible for him. Um, his body won't regulate. And there's no surgery that is um, known and proved to be successful in dealing with something like this. So, you know, he's apparently trying to become a candidate for an experimental surgery but because it's experimental these things are not covered by insurance and that's why there is a need to benefit to try to first of all help him but then as we say help him live with whatever quality of life he's going to have the best that it can possibly be and help his family whose lives are changed forever as well so that's why we have this big event coming up on saturday uh this coming saturday uh, in Parma, um, and it's uh, Jonathan Rodriguez Benefit, 50-item sportsman's raffle and dinner. It's always a wonderful time when these folks get together for very, very good causes. And how do people get tickets for this event to try to join uh, the effort to help Jonathan and his family? Go on to BlueLineUnlimited.com, uh, press the uh, tickets and events detail, and we're selling tables. we got like six tables left, which is six people each. So try to get six of your friends or six people total. Buy a table. Um, if you're unable to make it, though, there is a donate button. You know, you could go on there and press that. You can uh, donate anonymously or put your name on it. Some people put in honor of to donate towards this cause. 
Also, if you can't come, we have raffle tickets uh, that you could purchase online as well, and you don't have to be at the event, and we will let you know if you want. I'll make this easy for everybody. I already put this up there before the show today. If you go to my webpage, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, on the left side of the screen, you'll see... Um, uh, the uh, a section called From the Show. These are interviews and things that we've talked about on the show. And on that left side of the screen, you'll see the name Jim Bucks, and you'll see a link that says Blue Line Unlimited. That takes you directly to the page Jim and I are talking about now, where you can buy tickets for a table at the event, or you can buy raffle tickets, or you can just make donations. All of Jonathan's yeah. backstory is there as well, so just go to alwayswrite.us. Look for the name Jim Bucks on the left side of the page under From the Show and look for Blue Line Unlimited and you can help support this officer and his and his family's very important time of need. That's all the time thank we have you. today. Jim Bucks, thank you. God bless you, sir. I thank appreciate you. you very much. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning live from Washington, D.C. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.